Hey, John, before we get started today, what would you say to doing a little announcement mastery? A little announcement mastery? Why, that would butter my bread. Oh, good. Yeah, because it would steam my biscuits. Ooh. I don't know if that's That would thing. fix my little red wagon. <laughs> Wait, isn't that bad? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, if my little red wagon is broken, I think someone fixing it would be pretty fucking great. No, I know, right? But it's only ever used in a negative context. Like, ooh, I'll fix his little red wagon. No one's ever like, I think he might have a broken wagon. Yeah, see, that it's a saying that doesn't make sense. Yeah. And speaking of things that don't make sense, I'm kidding. We're actually going to do a normal <laughs> plug for, a, for a, a fan of the show. No reason to be antagonistic. No reason to make fun of this guy. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Today we're talking about Goblin Cave TV, a Twitch channel also findable on YouTube that dedicates uh, their time to playing non-5E games live or recorded for you to watch and enjoy. And John... I don't feel like coming up with a bunch of ad copy myself, so Scheherazade this shit out for me, (laughs) or I'll kill you. (laughs) Oh, no. Well, I guess I have a story for you. Do you want to see a group of people play RPGs such as, I don't know, Pathfinder or City of Mist? Or yeah. maybe like Spider Man, yeah, like the, <laughs> the, the was it twenty seventeen or whatever the, the Insomniac Spider Man. Well, I this mean, they just really put good. out the new remastered Spider Man. Yeah, they just came out with it on PC, and it's all nice and pretty. Yeah, yeah, super nice. Yeah, and so if you want to see people playing RPGs, a little non five E for you, you're tired of that. Mm-hmm. You want a little isn't? something else? Yeah. Then Baby Goblin Cave TV. Dot twitch dot com slash banter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Honestly, I just found it by Googling it, and so can you. Goblin Cave TV. Yeah, I mean, you might come up with uh, their YouTube, their yeah. Twitter. Thing is, if you Google Goblin Cave TV, you'll find all of the stuff for them. You'll find all the information you need to go be like, huh, they're doing some weird circus thing. I like circus stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like fun, so... So go check them out. I give you a bit.ly link, but you're not going to write any of this down. It's system mastery. No one takes notes. No one is ever listening to a podcast and is like, fuck, where's my pen and pencil? Yeah. I must write down. But if I say goblincave.tv. Or just goblincave.tv. Or, or a bunch of Just goblincave.tv.twitch.tv. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then that's going to get in your head and you're going to remember it for later. Yeah. If I'm like, someone's up here goblin my cave, you know, on the TV. <laughs> now you're going to remember it. You're going to think about some goblin going up the back door while watching television, Goblin Cave I TV. You know, I can't endorse that. We're supposed to be nice to our to our. This is the nicest buyers. thing I could possibly do, is stick the image <laughs> of an ass-eating goblin on the television in your mind. You will never forget Goblin Cave TV. They're Goblin Cave. Sam Sporkle, no! <laughs> so uh, anyway, check out Goblin Cave TV for non-5th edition D&D Twitch stream APs. And this is what happens when you let us do the copy. <laughs> no, he was very gracious and said Goblin analingus. That, that was all on John. I didn't do that. If you're choosing to rescind your $75, just Too take, bad. take his I half. I spent it already on <laughs> Goblin Cave. <laughs> all right, everyone. Thank you so much. We're now going to start the regular show. We'll see you after the break. Hello, and 
Welcome to System Mastery, the podcast where we beat a dead horse 1d6 damage at a time. Today we're dealing with plagues, natural disasters, roving psychos, and a psychic maelstrom that constantly presses at the outside of our perception. And the only hope is for humanity to come together in a desperate struggle for survival. So in order to distract from that, we read Apocalypse World First Edition on today's System Mastery. Welcome to System Mastery! That's right, it's me, your host, John, and with me, not with me, but, you know, we have COVID, so over there where he lives is Jeff! Hey, everybody. And because of COVID and our inability to, you know, do stuff, uh, we have special guest, James! Hello, uh, heroes! TVs. Yeah, TVs. They they might confuse me with another James that frequently appears on your programs. I just well, my middle name is James. These these two boys having COVID. If there's a chance that one of them dies, I gotta be there for it. <laughs> gotta be there to hear it. I <laughs> to need get to that get spot. that death rattle. There's a chance that you might not post that episode. So you know, as as a loyal fan, I'm sure you're, oh. you're just waiting for one of us to die so you can have their seat. Oh, yes, that's right. That's what I want. I yeah. want the job where I have to read an entire goddamn old role-playing book every two weeks. Uh, that Oh, you listen to the show. You clearly know I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and indeed you have not. <laughs> yeah, this time I, I had COVID way worse than John did. Uh, and so I have not read a page. I don't, I'm not even sure what the, what the game we're reviewing is. I'm mostly here for color commentary. Uh, so we read, uh, at James Behest, mm -hmm. uh, Apocalypse World First Edition. This is honestly one of the biggest name RPGs that we really haven't done anything with. Uh, First Ed came out in 2010, so we got another edition. It's fine that we do it on the show. Everything's okay. <laughs> it's, mm -hmm. it's a landmark <laughs> role-playing system that has spawned hundreds of other games, so I think they probably won't take too much of a hit from this. Have we no. talked about more than one other PBTA? We've done at least one. Yeah, that one that was like Kingdom <laughs> Hearts Kingdom inspired, Hearts one, and I can't yeah, think of another sure. one. Yeah. Uh, no, because we haven't actually done episodes on any of the things like we've considered doing the first edition monster hearts and a whole bunch of other stuff we've of course done one shot of masks so it's true yeah right, we've well, we've fucked around we're with some early. pbta but we haven't really reviewed a lot of the games and you know this one the the place where it all started mm-hmm so this is it's very interesting uh, but before we get into it, I gotta, I gotta ask James, how you doing? Hey, I, you know what? I'm not diseased. Uh, I have scheduled my booster shot to get the new Omicron subvariant shot in a couple days. So I'm feeling cautiously optimistic, a very familiar feeling. 
Well, why don't you ask uh, Jeff how great having a booster shot like five days before he got COVID was? Yeah. <laughs> well, he he but see, he's got the bat. He's got the old booster shot. You know, it's like it's yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, it, it's going out and buying like a pack of the previous set of Magic: The Gathering. That's not really going to help you in in modern format. <laughs> it is all I want to do though, because all I play is Commander. Hmm. Hmm, that's weird. All I want to do is have some fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm actually feeling much better. Uh, I, I don't know if we've told people online yet, but I have a negative test, and I've, I'm uh, other than extraordinary amounts of fatigue, I'm, I'm primarily symptom free. Uh, as people may be able to hear, I still have like a stuffed up nose, but I'm testing negative, so God bless. <laughs> yeah, if I had to report one thing about COVID. Uh, beyond the the untold horrors of the death it has caused over the past three years, uh, it's that it creates a stuffed up nose that Afrin cannot touch. It is an untouchable nose. It is. You can pour Afrin down your down your nose as much as you want, and it'll just come right in untouched into your mouth and do nothing. <laughs> just get that neti pot of Afrin going. No <laughs> problem. Yeah. So anyway, it's uh, it's good to be back, and I can't wait to actually have read one of these books. <clears throat> Yeah, eventually. That future, mm-hmm. that future. Uh, you know, you should read this book for the next one. You know, just be one behind from now <laughs> yeah. on. Yeah, just, you know, the rest of our career, I'll be one behind. <laughs> a great uh, we'll just start every episode from now on with a small retrospective on what we did <laughs> from Jeff. <laughs> Last time on System Mastery. Oh. <laughs> uh, Okay, so 2010, Powered by the Apocalypse comes out. If you have not seen any PBTA game stuff, uh, Apocalypse World is, uh, well, I mean, it really filled a niche that uh, the OGL left of (laughs) use our game to make whatever. So instead of a flood of d20 nonsense we have a flood of pbta nonsense Mm. and i feel like it's interesting when you look at this because you can definitely tell that this it was like oh people really want to make a game but by god we have had enough DD. and this being very much not DD, i feel worked so well in its favor yeah yeah, I, like, well, and also I, I think just when we look at Apocalypse World, like it is easy to start with in terms of design uh, because the mechanics are not that there there aren't like a bunch of complicated like layered things that can like break when you put them against each other. Like each move is its own isolated bit of design. So if you become familiar with the format to write a move and the very book uh, uh, that you are reading like provides you the tools that you need uh, to make your own custom moves, then you basically have everything you need to go nuts and make your own you know version of the game. Well, yeah, given that the game only has uh, five stats, each of them are going to have a minus three to a plus three, though, honestly, I don't think it you have to, like, work to get to a minus three. Like, you got to try to get there. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, a minus two is is more than enough in Apocalypse World. Yeah, and then the fact that it's two uh, d six based as far as rolling, you generally. You know, if you've never played PBTA, the general idea is on a six or less when you roll plus whatever stat you're using, then you've missed. A seven through nine is a sort of okay success, and then a ten plus is a solid success. Yeah, I think what most systems would call a success, um, you you really need to be rolling the best result to get in powered by the apocalypse uh one of the interesting things about the whole like design node of it is when people who are not uh the bakers introduce the idea of apocalypse world and its mechanics generally speaking they start with oh yeah the core of powered by the apocalypse is the mixed success it's you know succeeding but other interesting things happening at the same time i was really struck by how disinterested uh this book was in that mechanical innovation. Uh, you know, Baker really, really goes on to explain a lot of other things about the system, but kind of like just drops that and like, this is self-evident. I don't need to explain this. Moving on to all my other ideas about vomiting forth apocalypto. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the, the seven through nine almost success is an interesting thing, especially because in this game, there are certain moves and roles that you'll do where a seven and nine, like in a lot of other games, they'll make it like, oh, this is success with a cost or this is, you know, you can only choose partial success. There are still things in Apocalypse World where a seven through nine is like, no, this is fine. Yeah, it's not as good as a 10 plus, but you still do fine. Yeah, you yeah. have a nice meal. And and well, and like that's one of the things that I feel is is lost in a lot of derivative uh, powered by the apocalypse designs. Um, I think people really latched on to the like success with with a drawback being the result of like the mixed success thing, uh, because there are plenty of PBTA games where I will roll, you know, that seven to nine success and walk away with the feeling like, oh, I wish I hadn't rolled. This is worse than doing nothing. Yeah, that is, and you definitely see that in a few of the uh, roles in here. Like, it's not like it's missing from this. It just feels like that's less of a, like, design goal, like you're saying. Like, this isn't, oh, yes, I wanted to make 7 to 9 be, ah, uh, you kind of get what you want, but I'm going to stick it to you anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh and the fact that that shows up in a lot of other PBTA games, like you said, it just makes me look at things and go, God, unless I've got like a plus three to this, I do not even want to try because you're like, oh, seven to nine, you succeed in doing a thing, but Satan rips your dick off. And you're like, oh, cool. <laughs> but cool, a cool, dog cool. bites you in the dick. <laughs> <laughs> That's trademark. You owe me a dollar. <laughs> It's okay. System Mastery will cover the licensing fees. I can't imagine it. It's, it's trademark, but this is System Mastery. It's got to be the one place where it's okay to say it, right? <laughs> yeah, only I can say it, though. Oh, oh, but I say it all the time. <laughs> yeah, but not on air. He's been, he's been taking money out of your paycheck. 
fleecing me. I'm constantly saying it off air, but that's just because dogs are constantly biting my dick. <laughs> it's true. Um, it's fair <laughs> use. Well, one thing that I want to add before we jump into this game, like just a little bit. I know this is not a show where research is very common, um, but I believe. How dare you? I believe these days uh, the Bakers, uh, Vincent and McGay Baker, talk about Apocalypse World as being more of a joint effort. Uh, first edition uh, definitely just uh, credits Vincent, um, but. I believe, like, as time has gone on, they've been like, well, McGay was doing a lot of stuff in it, too. And I believe second edition credits them both. So I I want to, I I guess, like, put that up front for, you know, the big apocalypse heads out there who who might wonder, like, well, why are we referencing Vincent Baker so much when McGay was involved in the design of the book? Um, We're dealing with the past, you see, uh, where where the credits were different. Um, And the other thing that I'll say is the Baker family is responsible for some of the most influential indie RPGs uh, of the past several decades. They also did Dogs in the Vineyard and Firebrands. They've they've done some real bangers of games. They pretty much just designed the one and walk away uh, having done something like truly extraordinary that that changed the industry. Uh, and then a bunch of like larger to medium sized companies will pick up their design and make millions of dollars uh, uh, selling games derived <laughs> from them without putting a cent back upwind. Uh, so that that's that's our brief history for for this design like node and, and <laughs> how Apocalypse World has evolved. Good man. Great. I'm now looking at Vince Baker's like output list, and there are some stuff on here that I have to know more about. Yeah, kill puppies for Satan, cockroach souffle, the cheap and cheesy fantasy game. I gotta, I gotta find out what these are. Uh, kill puppies for Satan, uh, like also kind of a landmark indie game, um, and I believe one that they're not the most proud of in retrospect. But well, uh, you know, it was fun. You know, shit happens. Yeah. If I was picking something here that I'm assuming they're ashamed of, it'd be the seclusium of Orphone of the Three Visions. Because <laughs> it's a Lamentations of the Flame Princess thing. Mm, probably. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Woof. I'm surprised I even had to say that was Lamentation of the Flame Princess. When you write stuff with those kind of titles. <laughs> uh, all right. So, getting into the game... <laughs> Uh, As I mentioned, you have five stats, which are cool, which is your ability to, you know, be cool under pressure. Hard, which is, you know, how much of a badass you are. Hot, Mm -hmm. which is how hot you are. Just big, sexy slab of apocalypse meat. Mm -hmm. Uh Sharp, which is how smart and quick-witted you are. And weird, which is, you know, how weird you are. Yeah. Uh, All of the various playbooks in here, which are what PBTA games call classes, uh, give you a choice of a set of stats. So instead of being like point by or like, uh, you know, rolling or doing anything like that, you get a choice of four different stat setups. And usually uh, every playbook will have one of them that is their main stat, which will be a plus two no matter what. And then it'll kind of futz around with the other stats. Yeah, it sort of like lets you decide what what is important to you. Yeah, now some will 
let you be like, oh, you know, there will be at least one loadout where if you're like, oh, I want to be weird, even though that's not one of my main stats, it'll, you know, there's at least one setup where I'll get at least a plus one to it. Sometimes they're like, no, if you're whatever, you are not allowed to be like more than a zero in hot or something. So all just sort of depends on what you're playing and what the sets they give you to choose from are. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. See? Man, uh, can, like secret of the ooze in here. Since we, we since we're doing voices, uh, I, I want to talk about how this book is written with a voice um, that is, I will describe as extremely per- pervasive throughout the book. Um, there are sections like the first time this book introduces all of its character classes, which, you know, another thing that I have about this book is they introduce the character like playbooks at least three times throughout the book. The first time they do it, yes. it is entirely within the the character voice of the narrator of the book to the point where some of them I literally did not understand what the class was supposed to be because it was so yep. deep in character i'm i'm reading them right now because i had to get ready for the bonus content and i'm sitting here staring at the opening paragraph for the angel and the last sentence is like okay fine you're the healer but the the, up until the beginning of that it's just a bunch of like insults to everybody but you yes (laughs) (laughs) what is what is this vampire the masquerade insulting everyone that isn't me what the fuck (laughs) you like the gods the gods are gone (laughs) your friends they're all fuckers your mother, she sucks ass. And I'm like, okay, but what does this class do? <laughs> yeah. What is this playbook for? <laughs> and, and, and especially when you get to like some of the playbooks that are a little bit higher concept, uh, it's just like, no, I really, really wish that you were just explaining to me what this is supposed to be instead of maintaining the voice of, of this book. Um, and, 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 you know, to the book's credit, it's not all the time that I wish it would turn off the voice, but it is most of the time. <laughs> Basically, it, it just needs a little, uh, all these descriptions are in italics, it just needs a little unitalicized at the bo- uh, section at the bottom that just says, you know, oh, by the way, this class is the uh, getaway driver or something, something obvious so you can kind of kind of just move through it. <laughs> the thing is, it it introduces every playbook three times. The first time, it's just the like in universe in character text then it introduces it again includes that entire in universe text again and then gives you the full breakdown of like all right what are your powers what are your stats what what can you do what are you and then it introduces it again in the gm section now with notes for why certain powers are the way they are and includes (laughs) again everything that was already included so it just prints that same section of in character text three times for no reason yeah like the thing that i was struck by when reading this is man this really could have used an editor and not for the normal system mastery reasons that you want an rpg to have an editor where there are you know several page long run on cocaine sentences instead Mm -hmm. it's like well you know you are presenting like in world sort of like thematic information and you've got game information you're tying it together and it's just like well you probably only need to give that to people once you probably don't need to do it three times 
and it you know it wasn't like there were even like too many divisions of like oh I'm anticipating that only GMs are reading this section of the book so I'm dividing it up so GMs will only have to start here or, or something like that it was just a decision that like only makes the book bigger and I don't know in 2010 especially when I have to imagine printing these books was not easy why you would do that it's it's especially weird for me for the beginning only in character section because it's just a few pages of here's the name of a playbook here's a whole like in character text thing and then immediately goes into all right well now let's actually like you know tell you how to play the game and (laughs) what the actual playbooks are and i'm like you didn't need this I could have just flipped five pages, gotten to the playbooks, and been like, ah, oh, okay. Yeah. Great. There it is. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's just, like, it's a strange choice that, like, I, I struggle to see what they were going for at the time. And I'm certain an editor could have looked at this and gone, Vince, you, you, you can actually cut some of this down. Um, we only need you to do this once. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting because there are even times in the book where they reprint stuff and they have like, oh, hey, we're reprinting this here in its entirety, even though we already printed it earlier. So you don't have to go flip back and look at it when we're talking about it. And part of me is like, I almost appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It makes me kind of want to look into whether or not the Baker family like runs a paper mill or something. And this is like a laundering project, like a make work thing. <laughs> I just read the description for the for the, the chopper, which I, I, I swear I got way more information about what they are and what they do from the list of recommended names. <laughs> the, the, the beginning is just like a whole thing about how the world has lots of scarcity. And then it ends with, so chopper, there you are. And I'm like. There you are. What? Yeah, I guess you're just comfortable in scarcity. But no, they're the biker. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell when you look at the list of names and it's like T-Bone and Dice. And you're like, oh, oh, OK. They're bike guys. Got it. Oh, chopper is in like motorcycle, not like I've got a cleaver or something. Well, yeah, oh, I, I, I mean, like, there must assumed. be axe guys. I, I yeah. assumed it's like, oh, these are like scavengers who run a chop shop. And then like reading the playbook, it's like, you've got to manage your motorcycle gang. And I'm like, this is not congruent to what you wrote earlier. <laughs> what they wrote earlier has nothing to do with anything. It's just like, hey, the, all the things in the world ran out and except for bullets and, and, and uh, gasoline. Uh, but everything else ran out. We're out of everything. So, Chopper, there you are. There you are, bud. With and your you know, motorcycle you gang. Are. <laughs> you and might mention this motorcycle. You might just say motorcycle at some point <laughs> in the opening paragraph. <laughs> Never. It's just a word that's missing. I guess it's in case they ride something else. Like if they've got a tricycle or, I don't know, it's a recumbent bicycle gang. This is my I Vespa mean, you might, gang. <laughs> you might be doing a Mad Max like, yeah, sure, we've all got like cars sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> no, this happens. This happens in Europe. Uh, so everybody's on like little street scooters. They're very gas efficient. Hey, it makes sense. Ciao. It happens in Mos Eisley. It's uh, it's the the book of Boba Fett gang. <laughs> yeah, we got a swoop gang. <laughs> Those were not swoops. Those were mobility scooters of Star Wars. 
Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, the Hover Round Gang. <laughs> I don't know if you. I'm assuming. I'm assuming you haven't watched Book of Boba Fett, John. Of course not. They, they're Star Wars these, sucks, and I want nothing to do with it. They're riding these little hover Vespas. They're adorable, and they're and they're just like bright Power candy color. Yeah, which which looks crazy driving around Mos Eisley, where everything is sand colored, and then around the horn comes four four people on like candy chrome, pink, green, orange, <laughs> and yellow bikes. Oh, I've seen the bikes. It basically looks like <laughs> they went ahead and made iMac bicycles. <laughs> yeah, I personally loved it, but. Boy, it's it's choice. I mean, that show got so close to doing an office comedy about crime on Tatooine, and if it just like went a couple inches farther, it would have been incredible. That would have been much better. Instead of all the kind of badass hard men stuff they kept trying to tell you it was about, if they'd been like, no, Boba Fett came up and he's just stymied by bureaucracy all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Two thirds <laughs> of that show is just Boba Fett trying to get a meeting. Yeah. <laughs> uh all right uh you know what fuck it since we were talking a lot about them let's get into the playbooks yes i gotta say as someone who has only really come to pbta games through most of my stuff is like oh masks and monster hearts and games where people were like i've put a lot of thought into the meaning behind things and what moves are going to do during the game and how this will inform stuff. The playbooks in original apocalypse world suck my ass. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is a Ooh. harsh way of putting it, but I, I will say like there is less sauce on, on these playbooks than most uh, like modern powered by the apocalypse things because you know, they've, they've developed the format, but yeah, it does feel like the moves are a lot more generic. They they move things less than uh, some powered by the apocalypse systems that I would compare it to. There's there's just less spice here. Yeah, most of the complaints I have are either the class, like the playbook itself, is either very boring or kind of you know, stupid <laughs> or the moves themselves are like, Oh, I don't, I don't care about any of these. These are just like, bleh. Uh, yeah. I, I, uh, I'm only looking at a few of them now, but I can see what you guys are talking about immediately. There's less extreme definition, uh, which is kind of one of the fun things about PBTA playbooks. But then again, you know, this is the first one. They didn't figure that out quite yet. So the, the first one is the angel, which we mentioned is the healer. And, you know, I don't have a huge issue with the angel. It's just sort of, you know, you're a medic. You get you get medic stuff. <laughs> Your moves are like, you can have an infirmary or a healing touch or, you know, get armor if you're not fighting. So I was like, oh, that's that's all right. Sure. No, that's pretty fine. straightforward. The, uh, the infirmary yeah. one definitely reads a little unusual where it... it... I, I, I have no idea what it's even saying. It says you get an infirmary, a workplace with life support. I got those. A drug lab and a crew of two. And then it recommends two. Shigusa and Mox, who I have to assume are characters mentioned previously. Uh, get patients into it and you can work on them like a savvy head on tech. And then in parentheses, it says CF. I have no idea what we're talking about here. <laughs> so <laughs> the savvy head being another playbook oh, okay. has a move... That is basically just you have a workshop 
And so, for some reason, they decided to, in the one that comes earlier, go like, hey, you've got a you got a workspace just like the savvy head does. Anyway, you're going to want to wait 20 pages before you figure out what that means. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also note in the savvy head description for workspace, it also is like, yeah, you've got some laborers like Karna and Twee and Pamming. And you're like, who, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> so those are just recommendations. The book yeah, doesn't yeah. have an established world that where Shigusa and Mox are people. No, no, uh, it, it does not. One of the things that I, I guess what we'll get to when we, we talk about the GMing, um, like I said, uh, Visit Baker in this sort of dropped like the mechanical innovation of like the, the partial success without making much of a to do about it. However, the GMing style, that is something that it's carried forward into other Powered by the Apocalypse games is something that he really, really wants to drive home. And it becomes extremely evident in all of the choices that he makes throughout the book. One of the big things that he is a proponent of is like every person in the game who is referenced in the game, whether they're a PC or an NPC, needs to feel real and authentic in some way, which means everybody needs to have a name and kind of an identity associated with them. So in things where you get like characters who would be associated with your character, uh, you know, workers, underlings, whatever, like he's also dropping like, oh, yeah, like these names, like these strange names are now your thing. Um, so that is gotta be what I imagine they're trying to do uh, and drive home in those descriptions there. Yes. They don't want it to be like, you've got a couple people who help you out. Do not worry about them. They are literally just, you know, points on a character sheet. You know, like you say, there's a lot of GM section in this book and a lot of it is like, make everything feel real, make everything be like, even if you just introduce a person for one scene and they've got one line, that dude should have a name and something they want. Yeah, that's a that's fairly solid DM advice. I, I think that's great. Yeah. No, honestly, the DM advice in this book is the best thing about it. It's uh, yeah, it is like truly revolutionary and one of the fun things about it is it still stays in that character voice that the entire book is written in but again unlike the normal system mastery experience it's giving good advice instead of bad advice in that character voice which is a charming departure for us um uh, but going through the playbooks i see next we have the battle babe and in order to talk about the battle babe i've got to talk about one of the other things that uh powered by the apocalypse like some of the games maintained um but is kind of a hallmark of the system is the sex moves or the intimacy moves uh that you might see in modern adaptations um basically one of the other things that like the assumptions that this game makes is these characters are going to have sex with each other a lot and when they have sex there are particular moves that like affect the mechanical things related to their relationship and like lots of things can you know spiral spiral around that uh we recognize this a little bit from masks and like the intimacy moves of like characters mm -hmm. going off and doing things or in um monster hearts where when characters have sex like they they go and do wild stuff that of course started here and the battle babe which is a playbook that is like you are a really tough really hot person 
that's kind of the whole playbook. You're not the toughest person in the world, but you're super tough. And you're not the hottest person in the world, but you're super hot. And my favorite thing about the Battle Babe is your sex move is that nobody's sex move works. Uh, whenever they sleep with you, nobody's sex move does anything. So it is no, like it is one of the worst things. <laughs> yeah, it's, all this interesting stuff is there and you just go, no, no, I just have. Uh, Especially <laughs> because it's the second class. Like you start with the angel and they're like, oh, if you have sex with the angel, then you have history uh, with people. Your... That's one of the stats that you have. So it's like, yeah. oh, you immediately know this person really well, and they get to know you better. You know, sex with an angel is like, it's an actual intimate thing. One of the better sex moves that exists is the angel, because it feels thematic. And then you get to the second one, they're like, oh, what's yours? Ah, nothing happens. And at first, I was like, that sucks ass, that you're just like, what happens when you have sex with a battle babe? Nothing. My move is to nullify your move. Whatever, <laughs> it doesn't sonic. matter. <laughs> But then you read some of the other playbooks moves and you're like, oh, I'm going to be the most chaste motherfucker because like the driver has a sex move that is on a 10 plus nothing bad happens and on anything else you get fucked. Yeah. You're like, well, I mean, it's a sex move. Why would I have sex then? <laughs> well, I assume you're going to have sex with all the NPCs because they don't have the sex moves. Oh, uh, no. No, the sex but moves happen. your sex move yeah. fucks you up. <laughs> Uh, yeah the the driver's sex move is if you have a have sex with someone you roll plus cool on a 10 plus no big deal nothing happens seven to nine they get a history with you but you get minus one history with them that's, that's very telling on a miss, you take a minus one ongoing until you prove it's not like they own you or anything. Which I... That's very telling of a design decision. Well, And I actually like, love that. I love that so much because, like, that is kind of a fun thing. But the player isn't mechanically incentivized to do it. It is a mechanic that right. represents a particular dynamic, which is fun and cool. But it's like, well, if you're a player who's not familiar with this type of play... Uh, you're not like there's no carrot to drive you towards that. It's all stick. Oh yeah, well, yeah the well, second someone's like, be. "Ooh, I'm gonna have sex with you." You're like, "The fucking hell you are!" <laughs> <laughs> but like, if if they were all carrots, then the game would be high. Uh, it would be a real problem because you'd start every game, every new campaign. You'd be like, "Everyone fucks everyone else until we stop getting bonuses from it." I mean, well, so, I, you know, I don't have that much of a problem with that because this is a game that, again, makes the assumption that uh, everybody is going to be having sex with each other. So, like, and, and it, to the point where it's like, well, we've created a whole host of moves to facilitate action sprouted from that. Now, if each move kind of had something that is like, oh, there's a risk reward with this, like, <clears throat> sure, I am risking a bad result, but like. A, a, a fun and cool thing might also happen, but but some of them are like, well, yeah, if you if you succeed, hey, nothing happens. Way to go, champ. And if if you even kind of don't succeed, uh, then everything spirals out of control. It blows up in your face. Yeah, because, again, you have like some of the sex moves like the brainer or savvy head or things like that which are like oh if you have sex with someone you basically get a read on them 
So you can be like, oh, I can ask the MC some questions or figure out some stuff about whoever I just had sex with. You're like, cool, cool. All right, fine, great. You can do a move. You still have to roll for it, which means, again, you might fuck up the roll and screw things up. So you're like, oh, I have sex with someone and then blow their brain up. But with, God, that driver sex move just pisses me off so much <laughs> well it's weird because it defines the whole character so strongly like like uh it, it's pretty much a discouragement from having sex where even at your very best your very very best option is nothing bad happens uh which which suggests that drivers are, are supposed to be fairly reserved about whether or not they're going to have a lot of sex during the game uh but that that feels like it's too character defining out the gate for you know if you want to play a driver that's just a total it, it, just into sex constantly then you probably don't want to play a driver yeah especially because you look at things like all right you got the gun lugger who's just i'm the big ugly like literally the best you can get as a gun lugger is a minus one hot and that's one out of three of your options the other three are all minus two you are just a ugly nasty piece of shit but your sex move is you take plus one forward and you can give your sex partner plus one forward too, which means everyone's like, yeah, but I want to bone down with a gun lugger. Yeah. I'm going to get plus one forward. <laughs> it's so dumb. So let me ask you, I, I know this is probably going beyond our usual territory here, but how do you fix this? Because putting in a mechanic for what happens when two players have sex with each other has historically been really hard to do. Honestly, the, the Monster Hearts string... Yeah, that's a good choice. Is one of my favorite ways because it means both of you have this weird incentive but tension to it. So you're like, yeah, I'm going to be able to like get a string on this person. Also, my sex move is going to let me activate something else. But if I do it, they're going to have something to hold over me and they get to do a thing. So there's this weird like cost benefit analysis to having sex where you're like i want to do it but i also kind of don't want to and as a game about like you know teenagers that's kind of a a great way to enforce that like teenage awkward sexuality of wanting to but not really knowing what you're doing and and I, yeah, i'll say in here there are some uh, uh, that we've even referenced like really fun and cool sex moves like i truly love the one for the brainer which we, we haven't mentioned yet is like the psychic class where you're like kind of a little weirdo creep that that's got like a veiled face and everything but like when you have sex with somebody you get to ask questions about them they learn things about you you learn things about them that is when we say these characters have sex there is like actually an increase in intimacy because they learn things about each other and that kind of happens regardless of whether or not the characters communicate or not like that is a really juicy narrative thing and kind of what i would want out of sex moves and uh, what i'm interested to see how this is approached in in the second edition of this game like I, i'd kind of want all of them to be like oh there's reasons that i would want to do this but reasons that i should be kind of cautious around it like ways that it could end up going really well and ways that it could blow up in my face kind of like all the other moves in the game or like actual sex that'd be smart yeah 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 no the the brainer one because you 
you specifically have to, well, you don't have to, but you get to do the deep brain scan move, which is a brainer move, and you get to do it whether or not you took it as one of your moves or not, and you get to, you know, on a 10 plus, you get to ask three questions, seven and nine, you get to ask one, so you're like, oh, that's cool, you know, have sex with a psychic, and they sort of get into your head a little bit, but as the psychic, you're like, yeah, but on a miss, I just inflict one harm on the person that I had sex with. Yeah. And especially for NPCs who basically die at two harm, you're like, ooh, ooh, if I fuck someone and, and get in their brain, I might fuck them to death. <laughs> you know, the other thing I really like, if I'm comparing this to Monster Hearts like we were just a moment ago, Monster Hearts is a little more nebulous about what defines sex. It's basically it's a little open to interpretation of what constitutes when you would need to to uh, roll your sex move. I had always thought that was the case here as well. That mostly it just refers to an, any kind of night of intimacy or something. But no, this book straight up says like anytime your character has sex, then you do the following thing, which I get. But again, it feels like it, it kind of defines what the game expects from you more than. Uh, then it's just saying like when you have an in- intimate moment or something, which is what I was used to from things like masks. Well, yeah, and th- like that's the innovated version of it, right? It, like you know yeah. that that is someone taking a look at this and going like, you know, we can consider this more broadly, and it's a very cool thing, but we we don't need to marry ourselves to sex. But like in this, this game is really pushing for something that's quite different, you know, uh, I, I, especially like when you consider the indie designed landscape around 2010, like it does look different. There is a lot less explicit mention of intimacy and sexuality in role-playing games. So I can see why it drove so hard to, you know, push people in that direction because, you know, you can say a lot of things about this game, but this game is very clear about what it wants to be and how it wants people to approach it. Yeah, Yeah, the, the whole, like... You know, this is a game about, you know, hard fucking, hard fighting, hard scrabble people in the post-apocalypse. And, you know, everyone's just trying to find some sort of comfort. And I get the whole like, yeah, I want to have sex moves. And I was like, all right, I understand that. I really wish they were better across the board. Like, not just that you got better bonuses, but just that they were better implemented across the board. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and and I think that is really derivative of, again, the other thing that this book is really trying to drive home, the play-to-find-out philosophy, where you as a player and, you know, especially as, as the master of ceremonies, as this book calls it, um, GM, they are trying to push you in the direction of, like, well, you're doing things to do them, you're not really doing things because they'd be mechanically advantageous or whatnot. And so like, yeah, a lot of the results of the things that you could do are overwhelmingly negative, but, but you're doing it because you want to do it, not because you were trying to succeed at something, um, which is interesting. Um, and I, I think there are parts of the book where it's very successful in creating a mechanical foundation for that. And parts of the book where it's like, there could be more work here to actually make this idea come to life and really sail. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they have a mechanic that is 
the want mechanic of like, oh, if something goes wrong or you fuck up a roll or just, you know, anything's going on with your town, there are things where they might get wants. So it's like, oh, the town is has the want disease. They're diseased. They need medicine. So, you know, your hand might be forced to be like, all right, you've got to go scavenge out getting some drugs or whatever. And so there's ways that the game can push you to be like, yeah, you might not like mechanically want to go do this because it would be a bad idea, but we're also mechanically making it so that you should go do that. You, your character wants to go do that. So you should go do it. That's good. I like that. It's neat. Uh, yeah. And it's weird because that want mechanic comes up the most in some of the playbooks I like the least, which is the pet class playbooks. Because <laughs> the chopper gets a whole biker gang, and that is your only move. You're like, what do you get? You have a gang. What else? Fuck you. You have a gang. <laughs> I gave you a gang already. <laughs> you have More? the you have the hard holder who's just like, uh, I'm in charge of a city, like a settlement. And like, okay, cool. Are you going to go on adventures? I don't know. I'm like the mayor of town. Probably not. I run Barter Town. <laughs> Figure it out. Well, like, there, there, you've already mentioned at least two others that uh, that get like a permanent station that they live around between the angel ha- being able to have a and the savvy head both having like bases of operations. So it seems like you could potentially play this game as more like defense of the of the small apocalypse town you live in I, I versus think, constantly wandering the waste. I, I think that is generally the assumption that they make is that everybody is kind of grounded and bound around a single location um, because the what, one of the assumptions that, that you're supposed to make is that everybody knows each other, whether or not they like each other. They know each other and they're more or less on the same side, even assuming some tensions or whatnot. So like... Yeah, they, they they give you these things that are grounded in one location because they're kind of assuming that you're going to be playing that way. You know, unless you're the chopper and you're like, oh, I'm a biker gang and we're specifically mobile. I got the mobile tag for them so that they aren't, you know, confined to one area. And also, I'm the driver. The whole point of me is to drive around and go places. And then <laughs> if you get those two and someone's like, and I'm a hard holder and I'm the mayor of this town, everyone's like, oh, God damn it. Well, I guess, is there anything stopping you from defining your town as like a bunch of RVs? So you could be like, yeah, my character is a doctor and owns a, a medical facility, but it's a trailer and it's being pulled by a truck. I mean, because it's uh, powered by the apocalypse, not really, um, because, you know, there's it's pretty, pretty open. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty open. Um, but I don't think there were any specific uh, things like that for Hardholder. Um, I guess to avoid people uh, making complaints to us, I'll also say there is the Hocus, which is like you kind of have a cult. So that's another yeah, like you're the cult leader, a bunch of pets for you. Uh, it is the other pet class. It's one of the ones where I went like, God, if you run a game and you're like, all right, we got three players. We got the chopper, the hard holder and the Hocus. And oh, God, I'm going to need to have names for like 50 fucking people. Yeah. <laughs> and names and personalities. You got to make it real. You got to make it real. 
you got to do it. The Hocus <laughs> has 20 followers. The Hard Holder has a whole goddamn town. And then, of course, the Chopper has an entire gang. And you're like, oh, no, please, no. Please stop. All right. This is Pikachu. This is Machamp. Um, yeah. This is Hingus. At least this the game's Dingus. built around it. Yeah. I mean, at least the game's, like, built around it. Because one of the problems you run into sometimes with, uh, like, D&D games in particular is people. you have that one player that, like, is just naturally a pet collector and just wants to have every time they find a monster, like I want to train it at least this game. Yeah. If you're supposed to have all those. So that that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. It is creating room for them and it is like representing a particular kind of thing. I do think it, it foists a lot of work onto the GM. And another thing that I've kind of found with like, especially powered by the apocalypse games that have a pet collecting element is you because you are likely to fuck up roles your grip on the one thing that you can do is pretty tenuous actually where you know a gun lugger or battle babe like yeah they can get hurt or whatever but like they're pretty much always going to be able to do the point of their class things can spiral out of control for the hocus pretty quick and it's like well your cult is gone and you are a cult leader so i guess that's that for you <laughs> um, I mean, the fucking uh, chopper is like, ah, oh, you've got a gang. Also, uh, on a miss, they fucking overthrow you and you're gone. Yeah. You're like, uh, I'm sorry. We're a single move, but <laughs> that's it. Um, you're like, oh, well, you fucked up. <laughs> you rolled bad and now they decide that uh, you suck. And now Vinny's in charge. God. <laughs> Uh, we, we've got the operator who is like, this one was the hardest. Big economy, the playbook. Yeah, it, it was the hardest to understand. You're like a little bit a con person, but you're also just working three jobs. Um, yeah, it's it is 100 percent. I'm on Fiverr, the playbook, <laughs> which was a kind of super fun. Not a thing that I think I've seen in a lot of post-apocalyptic fi- fiction. So it was unexpected. Um, but yeah, a fun idea. Um and then we've got the Skinner, the sexy sex haver that has sex, but it's a little creepy because this is the apocalypse. Well, yeah, the Skinner is the one who's like, ooh, I I bring beauty to the world because I can dance or sing or paint or something. It's like, I'm the artist, but also mostly it's just that I'm sexy. Yeah. <laughs> so there are two playbooks in this game that are primarily defined by how sexy you are. Pretty much. Yeah. It's okay. I'm sexy and social or I'm sexy and violent. Yeah, because I just finished reading the Battle Babe a second ago. And wow, <laughs> I kind of I honestly I kind of love the Battle Babe. I can't help but think of the Resident Evil movies. Um, it is kind of perfectly encapsulating what that is uh, for Alice. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, See, for me, I love the Battle Babe because it is not gender locked. You can be a dude Battle Babe. Mm-hmm. That and- is completely true. <laughs> And two, one of their moves is just, if you're naked or nearly naked, you have two armor. And I'm like, fuck yeah, I want to make a dude with a huge gun, porky pig in it for two armor at all times. <laughs> Please, everyone just knows. hanging this. brain for two armor. I the gotta do it. The apocalypse works on Burning Man rules, and if you're out there shirt cocking, people are going to get real mad at you. Yeah, well, they can be mad at me. I've got a gun. <laughs> You've got, yeah. I just, I was like, I was like. 
what I meant by wow when I was talking about the Battle Babe was the description of them is written entirely from the perspective of why other people shouldn't mess with them. Yes. So all it is is like, hey, if you see a Battle Babe, you should walk away, but you can't. They're so sexy. And when you fall in love with them, it's like a zillion volts and your wings burn off. And you're like, well, okay, but what do they what do? They do? Like, what? what I, do you want me to associate that with, like, I don't know, Molly or, or uh, Sally Shears from Neuromancer or something where, like, sexy, dangerous, razor girl assassin or... Or is it just literally that they're so hot that you die? Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, kind of want to talk about the other uh, overwhelming mechanic in this that I actually did not associate with uh, Powered by the Apocalypse, which is clocks. This, as far yes. as I can tell, is where the clock mechanic uh, originates. Yeah, honestly, going through this, one, I did not realize that sex moves were a in the base game powered by the apocalypse thing. And I also didn't realize that they had countdown clocks as a main thing. I was like, oh shit, look at you, blades in the dark stealing shit from here. All right. <laughs> yeah. Now this might be a factor of both Vincent and um uh, John Harper were like active on the Forge forum. Um and that Clocks might be something that spawned out of there, but as the Forge Forum is something that had a community that was so toxic, it burned itself down and is completely permanently deleted forever. There's no way of knowing unless you were one of the people who was there. <laughs> um, so <laughs> as far as I could tell, this is where clocks live. Yeah, it's uh, you've got your harm clock as a player. So, you know, as you get more harm done on your clock, the later sections of the clock get, like, smaller slices to get more granular, but the first ones are, like, big old chunks out of it. And the first two harm you can take, you can just sort of heal yourself. After that, you gotta get healed. And if you get to midnight, then you are out, but you can be revived. If you go past that harm-wise, you are full dead. Yeah, yeah. And, gosh, this game had a lot of recommendations on how to use these countdown clocks um like dividing up like during different sections maybe introduce this role here uh, like one of my favorites was like they were talking about a plague and how like a, a a community can be facing a plague and like the first few sections are like you're trying to stave off having an outbreak and then like the final quarter is like really segmented and you're like trying to prevent that outbreak from progressing and then they provided an example of a clock that's like okay well let's say you're infected at the these stages you're trying to roll out of it to do this and if you get to your last few segments like you have these options um and it was just a really fascinating way to show off how to dynamically pace something using this mechanic uh that like i am really surprised that we didn't see clocks uh take off until blades in the yeah. dark um because this book uses it really effectively yeah, yeah I mean, you know, it's, go it's got it for battle moves, it's got it for hit points, it's got it for, like, narrative things, and I think the the big thing, though, is it doesn't really push the clock as a huge thing. Like, it, it feels like, here's this innovative thing we've done, but it doesn't seem to, like, really push the idea that this is a thing you 
are going to be using for everything because it only comes up for like, oh, this is hit points and here are some optional ways you can use the clock for stuff instead of it being like the main thing like in Blades in the Dark. This game is so blasé about a lot of its mechanical innovations. Like, because it's kind of blasé about sex moves too. Definitely like an underwhelming like uh, feature for uh, the partial success. But what it really cares about is moves. It really, really wants people to understand moves and takes the time to explain moves and how they work multiple times from multiple different angles throughout the book. Yeah, one of the weird things for me in PBTA, and which is a thing in this book, but I feel like helps describe a little better, is especially the GM moves, where I'm like, (laughs) I don't know why you're calling this a move. This is basically me just moving the narrative forward. But... They're like, ah, oh, yeah, you can do a move where you, like, do harm to someone or make things worse or an explosion happens or whatever. I'm like, that's not really a move. That's just me saying you did a thing and fucked up and now there's a tire fire. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> but that has always been the thing about the, the GM side of Powered by the Apocalypse stuff is, like, it is trying to provide a bulleted list of options of how to move the plot forward because it's like, okay, the player misses. Um, and if you are, I guess, a GM who really has no idea what to do, you can consult your GM moves and go, okay, I just have to do one of these things in response. Like, it's a neat way to teach the style of GMing that Powered by the Apocalypse wants you to use. Um, but I... I personally like it's it's not a thing that I would invest too much in um but the system is really proud of it really excited about it and really especially on enforcing it on the player's side like there is a lot of like hey if somebody is doing something they are either doing it through the move or it's not happening and in order to activate a move they need to be describing a, something that is triggering that move um and there is a lot of narration that is working very hard to drive home those points. I loved that part of this where they're like, it works on both sides. If someone just says, uh, I'm going to go aggro, they're like, okay, that's great. What are you actually doing, though? Like, don't just tell me you're doing a move. Tell me what you're doing. And then from the other side, if someone's like, yeah, and then I get in this dude's face and I'm like, fuck you, man. And then he goes, cool. So you're going aggro. Like, are you going to roll for that or no? Yeah. And the, that whole, like, you need to have this full integration where it's not just, I want you to narrate things or I want you to roll things. It's, I need you to be (laughs) really interacting with all of the bits and pieces together. Yeah. So does this game have the same mechanic that has moved forward in other PBTA games where players generally don't pick their moves? They just say what they're doing and then the the uh M- MC tells them what that what to roll. No. This one much more was like if you want to say, "Hey, I'm going to go ahead and do like a uh like try to seduce or manipulate someone or read a situation or whatever." You can say that, but then you really have to say, "Okay, but how are you doing that? Why is this the move that you are going to be doing? Like, how does that read into it? So there is a little bit more of like, 
I do like that for players who are like, oh, I I came to this from, you know, D&D or something super crunchy where I just say like, all right, well, I'm going to do a power swing. And you're like, okay, cool. What does a power swing look like? Yeah. So you can get into this where it's like, I'd like to, I don't know, go aggro. They're like, all right, what does that look like? How do you make them be afraid of you or do what you want? Yeah. And and since Hmm. since we're talking about moves, uh, I I suppose we should go down the list of moves that are in the game because that is the other big component to Powered by the Apocalypse after uh, your your playbook. Um, We've got Act Under Fire, which is, you know, doing something in a dangerous situation where you're likely to get hurt. Uh, Mostly a thing that the uh, like MC will force on you. They're like, oh, you wanted to do a move. Well, you're currently like you're car is spinning out or someone is literally shooting at you so roll to do it under fire to see if you actually can uh then we've got go aggro which is kind of like acting aggressively in social situations like you're not fighting so much but you are getting a little physical and being kind of a dick and i absolutely love that there is a move for this yeah it's it is the way to be like oh i want someone to like back off or do what I tell them or tell me something. It's like what would normally just be an intimidate role somewhere else is now go aggro, but it lets you have a selection of weird things you can do. Well, it's, it's, it's like more than that too, because like if you were to describe your character, like shoulder checking someone as you walk through a threshold, that's technically a trigger for go aggro, which I love. It's just like, hey, if you're going to be a weird dick about things, we've got to move for that. And wild shit can happen <laughs> as a result. Um, <laughs> there is seized by force, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's it's grabbing something uh, uh, through force, um, taking control of like an object or person or whatever. There's acting with violence, um, which is, you know, attacking someone um there is seduce or manipulate which is again exactly what it sounds like trying to manipulate somebody um or or be sexy with them uh there's read a sitch uh which is read a situation um uh for those who aren't really up on up to date on slang in 2010 um (laughs) haven't haven't watched their kim possible in long enough um, which, you know, that, that oh, I is... thought it was Sietch from Dune. Ah, yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> examining a situation, there's read a person, which is a separate thing. Um, uh, so rather than, you know, taking stock of an environment, it's, it's looking at an individual. Um, and open your brain yes. to the world's psychic maelstrom. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. I've <laughs> seen that in multiple playbooks that it, it, there's all these options to open your brain to the world's psychic maelstrom. Do they go into greater detail about what the world's psychic Jeff, maelstrom is? I have great news. No. They do not. In fact, there's a point in the book where it's like, hey, we've talked a lot about the world's psychic maelstrom. Uh, what do we mean by that? We don't know. You can figure that out. <laughs> Yeah, right. there's a point there's a point at least where in the gm section he's like oh in one of my games the world psychic maelstrom was literally all about love and so anytime you tapped into it it was about like the feelings of love in the world so when you tap into it i would have people get like weird relationship stuff or you know it would change their outlook and i went oh that's neat so they're just like there's a psychic maelstrom it is whatever the fuck who cares yeah 
All right. Well, I'm I'm glad they set their their uh, rules for it at least to let it, to let you know that no, we don't know either. But it's got to be something because so many moves rely on it. Yeah, I, which I I think is a cool thing. I think that is a cool blank space. But it is wild how much it shows up without there being any real definition for it. <laughs> oh, um, find, the, finally, helper interfere. I think is the the last one, um, which is the fact that the there is an, ender. an interfere with move that you can use on other players is such a dick thing, God, especially well, in this game where you can lose your entire character class from one roll. Because <laughs> like the whole thing is uh, uh, in uh, PBTA games, including this one, I'm sure, is only players roll moves. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So when you choose to interfere someone else's role, that is, you're guaranteeing that's a PvP action. Yep. All right. It is so, and it, it's worse than helping, because if you help, they get plus one. If you interfere, they get minus two. <laughs> but if you roll a seven and nine, then you expose yourself to danger by doing it. So if you want to interfere with someone, you're like, yeah, but I might seven and nine and fuck myself in the process. I mean, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, it says on a seven through nine, you also expose yourself to fire, danger, retribution or cost. And I got to say, as a player, if you interfere with me, I don't care if you roll a seven through nine. You just opened yourself up to retribution. Yeah, yeah. It's funny to think that if you roll a ten, you just don't. It doesn't say what happens on a miss, which that seems to be common in here. Yes. Come on. That That is a pretty common thing for Powered by the Apocalypse things, and it baffles me. I think the assumption is that the GM is supposed to make a GM move, which are listed in the GM section. Right. Yeah. We stat- we encountered that when we were reading the uh, the, the Kingdom Hearts-inspired one as well, uh, that it, it just constantly forgot to say what happens on a miss. But there was a DM move section. It was just very generic. It wasn't very interesting or thematic. Yeah. Uh, one of the interesting things with this is uh, we hadn't mentioned yet, but I was just looking at it because of the session end. Everyone, when you are making a character and you go around the table, you have a history stat with people. HX. And your HX history extreme. Uh, Glad to learn what so, that means. So you get your Baja Blast history mm-hmm. with people and <laughs> your gamer fuel history. <laughs> so. It's one of the couple of ways that you can get experience is the better you know someone, you can get up to uh, history plus three or history minus three. If you ever drop down to minus four or plus four, you reset to either the negative or the positive one, whichever direction you are, and then get experience. But history is basically what you're rolling if you are trying to do something usually for a player like a lot of times you'll substitute history where if you were like oh i'm trying to go aggro on an npc i would roll hard but you might use plus history with a player because you're like oh i know this person and i know how to be a dick to them in order to get them to do what i want so the fact that history is resettable, that when it, whenever it goes above or below three, it turns into a, a zero again and you mark experience, suggests that it's not really your established long-term history with someone, but more like your current status with them. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, kind, kind of. of. Because, because when it does a reset, there is like a transformation in the relationship. So 
you know, it's like history through this particular mode of our relationship. Like, you know, you might go from frenemies to to bitter enemies or, or lovers or whatever on, you know, a positive or negative reset. Okay, that makes sense enough. I was hearing that I saw it was a history mechanic. It was eternally cycling. I was like, they probably should have called that standing. But I get where it's coming from then. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. standing. The whole thing is supposed to be how well you know the other person and how well they know you. So the fact that it cycles, you know, kind of is like, oh, I know you as well as I'm going to in this way and now i have to find a new way to get to know you well, yeah it's like you know knowing somebody very well as a friend and then you start dating them and it's like well how well do you know them in a relationship type like i i get what they are going for um uh, i i think it actually works quite well and it's an interesting mechanic yeah i mean you got yeah, you always but- have to have one of those there's one of those in every pbta game the sort of how are you connected to the other people in the party mechanic yeah. Yeah. And in this one, instead of it just being like, oh, tell me what this person did in your past. It's like, no, tell me what they did. And that's an actual mechanical thing. So everyone goes around and has to be like, all right, I got to name someone that once like helped me out of a bind or whatever, and they'll get bonus history. And it's it's interesting. It's an interesting thing. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh... Other than that, you know, the game has gear. Normally, it's just a set of, like, tags on a thing. So it'll be like, oh, this does two harm at close range and is loud and messy. And uh, the money system in this is just barter. You have, like, oh, I've got three barter worth of shit. You can go ahead and define what that means if you want to, but mostly it's just like, oh, I can go trade some stuff. I've got stuff that is tradable. Yeah, Yeah, I thought that was a neat mechanic that there's a whole bunch of I I found it interesting that it seems like each playbook includes its own cost breakdown for what barter does for them. Either that or I just read the angel and it had all that cost mechanic stuff and then they just assumed that going. No, it's it's reprinted on all of them. Each playbook has it, It, which, again, I think it is a cool mechanic. Um, I don't know of a lot of Powered by the Apocalypse systems that had much of a stuff economy to them. Like even even Dungeon Worlds was like pretty underwhelming. Um, So it was cool to see one that like seemed very functional and like. I, I think it would be fun to engage with uh, in this game, for sure. Mm-hmm. I can see why they aren't usually there. The mechanics are already all... They're all just narrative tools as opposed to, you know, mechanically breaking down the actions of a fight. So have, knowing what a sword's stats are generally aren't that important when you're when you're more having a, a, a story fight than an actual fight. Sure. Yeah, yeah, the... I mean, the big thing with barter is because you can be like, all right, I have three barter... And there's a very clear idea of, like, this is what one barter means. If the MC ever goes like, okay, you know, you fucked up a roll or some shit goes wrong, uh, like an, a rival gang comes and is way huger than yours and goes like, you need to give us two barter in order for us to leave you alone, you can very clearly go, shit, that's like a two-thirds of my stuff, man. <laughs> yeah. And because barter is also not a thing that's, for most people, something you can just be like, oh, I just, you know, I'll I'll go out into the waste and scavenge and get some barter. 
like the operator is one of the ones who are like, no, that's like my whole deal is I have jobs to generate money. Like, that's why you play me is because I have multiple jobs. Yeah. So I do like that barter is a thing that the GM can use to kind of like hang over your head and be like, look, you've only got one barter, which is like a week's worth of staying in a place. So sometime in the next week, you got to find more barter or you are fucked. Yeah, yeah. It's a cool leverage point. It's a cool leverage point for different players to access to. I, I, I just think it's neat and it's something that uh, I would appreciate seeing in other Powered by the Apocalypse things. I guess where it's relevant because, like, you don't need it in masks. Yeah. No, there there are definitely certain games where it would work better than others. I would love to but, see a uh, giant gear list in, like, Monster Hearts. That'd be great. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it'd all be stuff like, you know, cool backpacks and chokers and things. But yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, you could just be like, what do you have? I've got one barter, but this is barter for like High the school. teen world. So I've got like a pack <laughs> of cigarettes and a porn mag or some what, shit. One barter is a week's worth of eyeliner um, for your vampire. So you, you got to find it. You I have the answers to next it. week's history final in a folder. <laughs> uh, all right. So let's. Let's go ahead and move on to our uh, our leasts and most favorites for this game. Jeff, should I even ask you, since you haven't read this? Nope. No, I'm, <laughs> right. I'm abstaining. Great. Moving on. Yeah. James, what would you say is your favorite thing in the Apocalypse World First Edition? I am going to say, like, there is there's a lot to like here, um, but probably the GM advice, I, I think, is... One of the things that like kept this book around uh, uh, and, and so influential for as long as it was like there are a lot of cool mechanical innovations here, but this explains a style of play really well. And that got carried forward in every iteration of a Powered by the Apocalypse thing, like down the line. And it kind of it taught the world this extremely fun play style. Um, and it did it very mm -hmm. clearly with a lot of cool examples. Yeah, yeah, I think there's 100%. a reason we've mostly left Vincent Baker and Megway Baker alone until this point. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, their legacy is is really good and it stands on its own. Um, like, it, it it's kind of hard to scratch some of that stuff. But it is a delight uh, to know that, like, well, even in this landmark book, you are contending with this author voice. Now, there there might also be the fact that I have consistently throughout my life confused Vincent and Keith Baker, my Eberron boy. <laughs> so, hey, so if your name is Baker, you're probably pretty good. You're one yeah. of them fabulous Baker boys. I like I, I like all of these Bakers, so I'm I. That's why we rarely talk about their stuff. They call oh, them the Baker's candlestick makers. Fuckers. <laughs> there are 11 other undiscovered. Well, no, not 11 other. There are 10 other undiscovered games bakers. When they hit, mm. it's going to be big. <laughs> when the 13 are aligned. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. They got those games in the oven right now. Uh, Yeah. I mean, honestly, for me, the best thing in this is the DM advice. Like, you're right. A lot of the ways in which the the game really presses you to be like, make this very player facing tr and try to obfuscate the rules, whatever you can try to make it feel like this is happening just from choices and the actions they took 
are going to flow naturally into things. Don't say like, oh, as a GM, I'm going to make things bad for you as a move. You're like, no, just, you know, say what happens. Try and make everything feel very cohesive. The DM advice in this is fucking great. It, mm -hmm. it just is. Yeah. But what's the worst thing in first edition Apocalypse World? There's stuff in here that we haven't touched that does not age super great. Um, uh, the part of the like harm mechanics uh, are like permanent things that you can accept instead of dying. Um, but they they're phrased in ways like, well, if you get disfigured, it permanently lowers your hot. Um, and if Ooh. if you get crippled, uh, it permanently lowers your get hard. Um, and it's like, yeah, this was 2010. And also uh, this is clearly a thing that is going for a particular kind of like edgy voice. It's not wonderful to look at. I'm, I'm certain that things are different in second edition, um, though I cannot confirm that. Uh, it's just, yeah. Did not age super great uh, amongst a bunch of other stuff that is actually pretty cool and good. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, you'd expect this that, that puts this into the into a small club of games that don't seem to recognize that beauty is inherently subjective. Yeah, because no, believe me, you can go on Twitter for like three minutes and find people that are insane for eye patches. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a weird stand for this game to make you know um especially when you've yeah. got a bunch of little weirdos running around yeah well especially when you're like man <laughs> the whole point of this is that everyone's like uh i i'm from the fucking post-apocalypse i'm probably fucked up in some weird way yeah uh, yeah exactly i was gonna say it's the fucking apocalypse that everyone's gonna be have a bunch of scars and so on that's just part of it and i it, it it worries me that that would reasonably define that the battle babe and the uh the was it the the what, what was the one that was the other the sexy skinner. one the skinner. the skinner thank you that they're like unmarred this is why the example skinner picture has a scar over their eye it's uh <laughs> yeah it's a weird thing i know what they're trying it's a to sexy do one. the idea that you are like okay instead of dying i'm going to take a permanent stat penalty like that's fine. It's just the way they phrased it, which is not fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I see that. Uh, and, uh, and of course, I will take me, one of these. <laughs> my I, uh, my I, least favorite thing, of course, is uh, goddamn those sex moves fucking suck ass. <laughs> like, like 90% of them. God, that fucking the battle babe one of just you don't get your move and that's my move. I, Fuck you. Absolutely love that. I, 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 I have to disagree because I just love that you can play the battle babe and be the biggest no consequences slut in the apocalypse. That's <laughs> great. I, I like I'm I'm gonna take one because of the twenty pages I've read, just tell me what the fucking playbooks do. Don't yeah. give me this poetry shit. <laughs> that, 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 that's all. Uh all right. Let's go ahead and see. Hey Jeff, would you play Powered by the Apocalypse First Edition Apocalypse World Apocalypse? Okay, well there is a second edition that I assume fixes a lot of the minor things that we've already complained about. That said, I didn't ask that. I know. I'm I, it's it's a preface to my game. I didn't say I was going to say that said, yeah, probably. This seems like it's a lot of fun. Awesome. James, 
Yeah, I'd play this. I would definitely want to play the second edition of this, but yes, I would even play the first edition for sure. I see you're afraid to yell at James. (laughs) (laughs) Me! Uh, Yes, I would also play this. Mention the second edition. Mention it. No, fuck you. (laughs) There's only one edition. (laughs) Oh, yeah, let's get some edition war stuff around this. I'm getting into that APOC world edition war, baby. (laughs) Oh, God, I wonder if I could find that. I I went to scour the internet. (laughs) Oh, there's got to be some chode. Yeah. (laughs) There's always some chode. Well, if you're scouring the internet, you're definitely going to find some chode. (laughs) All right, there we go. Fuck yeah, thank you. Uh, James, for joining us, is there anything you would like to plug before we get the fuck out of here? Hey, uh, check out Campaign Skyjacks on your favorite podcast app for uh, a cool actual play. And look at the shelves of your, your friendly local book or game stores for the Ultimate RPG Guide series. Uh, if you're going out to get the, the recipe books that Jeff and John put out, you might find my books right next to them and accidentally mm-hmm. buy them at the same time. That would help me a lot. Heck, if you're looking at the if you're looking at the Ultimate RPG series, you might accidentally buy our book. Yeah, very true. Oops. Very true. <laughs> you fucked up. <laughs> yeah, don't. We don't we, they didn't give us royalties, no. <laughs> uh, awesome. So... Check out some Skyjacks, check out some books, check out our books, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash system mastery. We are going to go make some characters in Apocalypse World. Even Jeff is going to join us for that, too. He's going to make a character even though he doesn't understand anything, which means it's going to be exactly like a normal episode. (laughs) Dick. (laughs) That's what happens when you let me be in charge. So head on over to patreon.com slash system mastery. It's the very bottom bargain basement $1 level. We make characters in the games we review. There's a ton of characters in there, a ton of goof em ups and fun ideas for things you can play. We are going to go do that. And of course, you can also get the other levels, which will give you our expounded universe bonus content where we go to Wikipedia and look stuff up and our afterthought and... Our TV mastery uh, at the top tier at the $5 level and uh, also gives you a bunch of Discord privileges and other dumb nonsense. And it's great and we love it. And then you can ask us questions and we'll be like, yeah, I don't know. So <laughs> join us, won't you? That's worth your money. I don't know. <laughs> Thank you for coming along on this apocalyptic journey. We will see you in a couple weeks with some more System Mastery. And until then, all of you, have a good one. Are you curious about the ever-expanding world of tabletop role-playing games but could not possibly know how to learn about them all? Do you love actual play but rarely have time to listen to a full, long-form campaign? Do you like joy and fun? If you said yes to at least one of those things, you should listen to One Shot, where every month I, Dylan, bring on a new group of talented and funny improvisers and performers to play a new RPG, resulting in a self-contained and digestible story wrapped up in just a few weeks. 
We've already featured over 160 games on the show so far, and there are new inventive games being made every single day. So be sure to stop by, find a series that sounds interesting to you, and give it a listen. We hope you'll find new games to play, new performers to enjoy, and new stories to remember. 